Welcome to Exposed. Real people, real stories, uncensored. You'll hear it all, as well as secrets from your host, Samantha X. With me today is Dr. Puria Maradi, who is one of Australia's top plastic surgeons, and he's my surgeon. He is the man I trusted to give me a lower facelift and breast implant removal and new ones. We'll get to that later. He's also an author. His new book, Normal, A Plastic Surgeon's Letter to His Daughters About Body Image, is out on the 19th of September. Normal is a heartfelt exploration of fatherhood, resilience, and unconditional love. Welcome, Dr. Maradi. Thank you. I, I don't think I could have written that any better. Yeah, <laughs> I scribbled it today. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. How many words? From one author to another, oh, how many yeah, words um, is How many it? words? Actually, I, I should know that because I sent it. So it's 70,000? It's about 200 pages, 220 page a book. So hmm. 50 to 70,000. Yeah, something like that. How long yeah, did yeah. it take to write? Well, it's, I started writing it during covid so okay. literally the March of the February March of COVID, so two thousand and twenty. So it probably took me uh, two years, and then it's taken eighteen months of faff, eighteen months of you know finding someone to help me publish it, finding someone to print it, somebody to do PR. You know, just all those little things that you you don't yeah, yeah you don't yeah. realize take time. And then when it's out, all the publicity. Yeah, and the anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why I haven't published it quicker because. What are you scared of? I don't this know. is a man. You you you, you design women's bodies. Yeah, no, I think it's just maybe imposter syndrome. Maybe you know, every time I think, of what if nobody likes it? Then I kind of go back to the genesis of why I wrote. It was about literally about you know a, a book for my daughters about body image. And you got three daughters. I've got three daughters. Yeah. How old are they? Um, year five, year four, and year two. So okay. ten, nine, and seven. Amazing, amazing that you say, "What if no one likes it?" Do you not think that when you operate on people and completely no, change their bodies? No, you, you. I mean, every. I think everyone in any sphere of work or activity, you you have those anxieties. What if nobody likes it? What if they think it's rubbish? But if you go back, to, uh, you know, the way I go back to it, and I've talked to some of the, my patients, and they're like, "No, it doesn't matter," because. You know, you wrote it for a reason, and the reason was, you know, what you wrote it to you. Yeah. yeah, what was the reason that you well, wrote it? Well, how it started was, it was in November, November 2019, so just before COVID. Um, and my eldest daughter at the time, who's in year five, who was actually year two at the time, had a different s- swim event every day. Not swimming carnival, but it was just they went to a different pool, they went to pool every day. Late November, so summertime, Australia time. And every day she wore a different pair of swimmers. And every day she had, did not care how she looked, what her body, what, what she looked like. And I was like, isn't that amazing in five, six, ten years? Not even these days. Yeah. Her, her, she would be very conscious about what swimmers she wore to a swim event. <clears throat> and I was like, well, how, where do I fit in all this? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a father of three daughters, but I'm also a plastic surgeon who operates on mainly women who have some insecurities about their bodies. And where is my role in all this between being a father of daughters and also a, a, a male surgeon who makes money out of operating. So it just got me thinking about it. And then we, we traveled to the UK over that Christmas time. And I thought about it some more and I thought it would be a good idea to do. And then January, 2020, uh, Kobe Bryant passed. Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant, famous LA Lakers basketball mm-hmm. player, tragically died in a helicopter, helicopter mm-hmm. accident with his daughter and, and Tony he had four daughters and he was very much into, you know, you know the dad. You know the um, the uh, the girl dad. You know he was really into the into his into his daughters and getting involved in everything they did. 
And he had this thing when he played about called Mamba mentality. It was just like he was the hardest working professional athlete of all time. No one's ever, that's what he became famous for. And that kind of was his legacy. Even the day he retired, he was up at 6 a.m. training with his daughter. So for me, I was like, okay, this is a sign that, you know, I, I need to do it. You know, the Mamba mentality, you know, what would Kobe have done? And then COVID happened and we had six weeks of lockdown and other lockdowns. So I had, I had time. So it was almost like this perfect storm of life telling me that I have to write this book. Mm. Uh, and that's how it started. And then, you know, I chipped it, chipped away at it and I had different versions I wanted to write. Um, you happy with them? I'll, yeah, I think I know I am happy with it. I am happy. And then, you know, I, I don't read it for a while, then I would go back and browse through it and I've done all this editing. I'm like, yeah, no, actually it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And do the kid what do the kids say? Because uh, they're they're still quite young. They're still quite young. And they're, they're I mean they're excited because um, you know, they they do get mentioned in the book in the front cover. I love the front cover, the by front, the way. Great, and and, and then for those who haven't seen it, it's it's you holding the hands of your is, I presume it's you? Yeah, no, it's me. It's it's a photo of me walking my middle daughter. Evie to her first day of kindergarten and it's taken from my, from behind from my wife. And it's, you know, a stencil drawing of, of me just walking the girls. And when I was coming up with the design, that's the kind of design I wanted, but I didn't know whether I was going to use me, but it was that, that image that like the fathery image, because I've got one backpack in one hand, holding two girls, two kids hands in one hand. And, and it was the first day of school. So that became the image. And it's, I, I mean, I, I love it. So the, the, they love it too. Mm. So. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I know how hard it is to write a book. Yeah, no, but no. I, and I think I talked to you when yeah. it, uh, ages ago, probably a year or two ago, about when it was coming to, to the end. It's like, okay, what do I do now? How do I publish it? Because obviously you've published yours. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it is nerve-wracking as well. Yeah. Um, you, you bring it interesting. You mentioned an interesting point is that because I have a daughter as well yeah. and I've had surgery. Yeah. Um, I've had numerous boob jobs um, for yeah. for. for, for year like over maybe six over 15 years um you did my last one very good job thank you very much um i've had a lower facelift and a few tweaks here and there and i have a 14 year old daughter yeah. and i say to her you're beautiful the way you are i know i really drum home that message but then she looks at me and i'm you know almost plastic fantastic and it's the same with you you tell your children they're beautiful the way they are yet for, for work you change women's bodies how do you how do you deal with that? What do you say? Uh, or think, how will you deal with that when they're older? Well, I, I guess it comes back to why the book's called Normal. Um, and I didn't have a title for the book. And then I kept hearing this from patients over and over again. Um, and one of the patients says, thanks for making me feel normal. Um, what did you do for that patient? And that patient was a, she was a patient, a, a younger patient, 17, 18, we had, had breast asymmetry, a, a mm -hmm. breast condition where one breast develops and one breast doesn't. But then I, then I kept hearing it over and over again. Mums, I operate going, I feel normal again. You know, I had the muscle separation. I, so tummy tucks. Tummy tucks. Yeah. Or people that have very large breasts, gigantomastia. And well, naturally. You make them, yeah, it's just okay. big reduction. You know, they've got double G breasts and you make them even double D and they feel better. And it was like, thanks for, for making me feel normal. And it, what is normal? No, like there's no, and I talk about it in the book a lot, is like nobody knows what normal is, mm -hmm. but it's, what is your normal? You know, what, what happens to be the normal for you? Um, and the example I use in the book, if a child had bad teeth, for example, you wouldn't think twice about fixing your, your daughter's teeth, okay? Now, your daughter at the age of 14 isn't going to go, uh, I mean, if she does get light, one liposuction, you obviously say no, but if your daughter at 14 has double H breasts 
and they can't, you know, it affects the way they, uh, and I interview, and we get someone to interview one of my patients. We have one of these patients that had double H breast. She gets looked at differently and with, with her friends and boys. She can't wear swimwear. She can't wear clothing. She can't exercise. So no amount of time can make those breasts smaller. So sometimes surgery is the only option, not too dissimilar to teeth. And I think my role as plastic surgeon when patients come in is just if they want to go aggressive and crazy, obviously you have to, you know, dampen that enthusiasm. And it'll be the same with your kids. You have to go, okay, are there other options that are non-surgical? Okay, can you fix your teeth in any other ways besides orthodontics? You probably go down that path before you go to orthodontics, but sometimes a problem only surgery is the solution. Mm. Not saying it's the first solution, that mm-hmm. can be the only solution. So what would you say if, let's say, they're eight, 17, 18 years old and one said, I just want bigger boobs, Dad, I just want to I just want to look sexy in a bikini or look better in a bikini? Well, under 18 is an easy decision. It's, it's no. <laughs> let's yeah. say they're 19. Well, the 19 is, I think they need to take agency of their body. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up I mean, I'm a boy, I grew up and men have always had agency of their body. No one's ever, if a man wanted to do something, no one ever doubts why a man does it. Mm. And I think now, I mean, it was great, the FIFA Women's World Cup and the empowerment of women, but mm-hmm. a part of empowerment and part of the, my daughters is it's your body, you have agency over your body as long as you have well-researched and you know what you're doing and you don't do anything ridiculous. So, I mean, it's great that today was the interview I talk about in the book, but I saw a patient today for a, a labiaplasty and mm-hmm. she was young. I need to explain to people what yeah. a labiaplasty is. A labiaplasty is when, um, I mean, anatomically, you've got the labia majora in the female genitalia, female genitalia, the outer bit, but the labia minora is the sleeve underneath and sometimes that can protrude further. So it's like, is it, is it a, it's not the lips, it's the bit inside the, inside the lips? The lips. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, the yeah. bit that can hang down. The bit, the bit that can hang yeah. down. Um. And, I, you know, I had a patient who was 16 today and she she came in for that procedure. Now, ordinarily you'd say you cannot have that operation because it's deemed a very cosmetic operation. But, so it's not necessary to, you don't need to have it done for going for a wee or sex no, or anything No, but like I think that. it's, you know, for, she's been researching it for two years, yep. parents involved, psychologists been involved, yep. can't wear, active wear, can't wear swimmers, is um, has that dragging feeling. So that conversation was kind of easy. Yes, most 99% of patients that get labioplasties um, after, uh, have it over the age of 18, but you have someone under 18 that has it, but it's medically necessary. There was a lot of asymmetry, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. So whilst it's always thought of as a cosmetic procedure, there are very functional aspects to it, such as in this particular patient, because there was no way that, creams, lasers, or any other modality would help. So sometimes you have to go to surgery as long as, and she was amazing, 16, super mature, knew everything about it, had researched it, asked sensible questions. And you're like, okay, well, this is a patient that has thought about it, mm. irrespective of their age, is of a good an age that she can have it. She's not like she's- Was her family, her parents there? Parents were there, mm-hmm. totally on board. Psychologist review, totally on board. Great. So- yeah. Yes, it's an operation that can, can be done for cosmetic well, reasons. Well, I'll admit, I've had it done. <laughs> yeah, okay. but, but, but for her, it, it was like there was no concept that it was a cosmetic operation. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I just can't wear swimmers. I can't I can't go for a run. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Mine was cosmetic, I have to say. But yeah. if, if, if I was in that situation at 16, I would definitely, yeah. definitely think about getting it done. But back yeah. in my day, I don't think we had that. 
Maybe. There probably wasn't an option. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't an option. So I think back to your question at, at 19, as long as, you know, it's it's their body, they've taken agency, but they've done what this 16-year-old did. Mm. He's been super, super educated about it, the pros and the cons and mm-hmm. the and having, you know, not a parental support, but also like the, whoever is their support structure helping mm. them out. Do you see many people come back to you with regrets of surgery? Um, if they do, they probably don't go to a different surgeon. <laughs> but but I, I saw a patient today who had liposuction elsewhere and she just said, I just regret doing it. Why? She Because now looking back at her photos, they weren't that bad. She goes, look, I was just bored during COVID. I shouldn't have done it, you know. And what did you say to her? And I looked at her and it was like, her results were, you know, not the worst, not the best. Um and what are the side of how how can lipo go wrong? Of all the operations, cosmetic operations that go that don't go as well as everything else, it's always liposuction. Because because um, less is more. As in, right. you try to take away, and I don't. I've, I've got to a stage where I just don't do straight lipo anymore because you do lipo and you remove as much fat as you can. It looks yep. great, looks good on photos. You look how much fat we took. Yeah, but you're relying on the skin retracting. And if the skin doesn't retract perfectly, then you get contour irregularities. So less is more is you take less so you don't get complications, but patients always want you to take more. So this particular patient actually saw three today. And as soon as a patient um, shows me that area, you just know that they've had lipo. You can just see it from a mile away. My girlfriend had lipo, not with you, and she's been left with cellulite. That, yeah, she, that she didn't have before. Yeah, exactly. So you, you get crinkly skin. Um, yeah, which every woman has, by the way. I've got plenty of that, but yeah. But yeah, you, you, you suck away the fat mm. and you're relying on the skin to retract down. And if it doesn't retract down evenly, you get these little contours, mm. which for this particular patient, she couldn't wear a bikini because you could see the contours in the sunlight. So what, do you, what are you going to do for her? I've told her she's going to actually go see a psychologist. Right, she's really she that upset, bad? She's that bad. Right. Um, and, but yeah, back to regret. She, re- right. she regrets doing it. And so can you fix that? You can fix it. But as I said to her, I don't think she should because the fix involves big scars. Right. And so it's you, swapping one for another. You, yeah, you possibly – you have to, as I said to her, you go, you have to hate this so much that the solution, which is a big scar, you know, from here to here, you have to live with that to have a smooth contour. Yes, that scar what did w- she say? will be hidden in the bra. Yeah. She'll come back. She'll come back. It's terrifying. I mean, I don't understand how, well, I do understand. It would be terrifying for you sometimes. I I would yeah. think, well, I would be terrified operating on someone's body, not knowing really well, that, think, how, how they're going to react afterwards. Well, that's why I think as time goes on, the more senior or experienced you get, you go, you become more and more uber subspecialized and you don't do operations that you just... You technically can do, but you just you you know that the patient satisfaction curve is is not that much, so you don't do, you, do it. Were you trained in body dysmorphia? We um, body dysmorphia is part of our curriculum in right. our plastic surgical curriculum. What do they tell you about that? Um, well, in terms of no one tells you about it. You, it's it's your reading material that you need to you need to read, and there has been questions in our fellowship exam two years before Where mine. Where did you study? Uh, so in Australia, I mean, I went to UNSW, mm-hmm. but after you finish med school and you do about five, six years of junior training, every doctor goes through a training program. You either go to do GP or you go to do psychology, you mm-hmm. do uh, 
for me, I went to plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And then you apply to the College of Surgeons or College of Physicians or College of GPs, and they have their own training program. So our training program was another five years on top of the five years of junior doctoring. And that's all in Sydney for me. But then I went to the UK and did a fellowship in microsurgery and then Stockholm for a fellowship in cosmetic surgery. What made you go into plastics? Um, I wanted to do surgery. Mm -hmm. So, well, actually, the truth be told, I wanted to be a professional sportsman. But I, I was never, never the, <laughs> I've the, seen the, your Instagram. You're very good. But it dawned on me when I was 17, I was actually not that good. <laughs> so then I thought I'd do sports medicine because right. that was a good little dovetailed well in. And then I, as part of sports medicine, orthopedic surgery would it made sense operating on athletes. Uh, but then I did plastic surgery when I was overseas in the UK in 2003. And it just kind of, it, it, it was one part of the body that you, one part, one specialty you get to operate in the whole part of the body. So that's how I got into plastic surgery. Um, oh, so uh, what did they tell you about just body dysmorphia? What did you learn about body dysmorphia? I, think you, I, think, I mean, body dysmorphia, I, I do talk about it in the book. There's body dysmorphia, but there's also, like the patients are very body dysmorphic, are kind of easy to pick. For okay. example. It's just, you know, for, I mean, off the top of my head, a male patient who's oriental brings in a photo of a female white patient and goes, I want to look like that. You know, okay. something silly like that. Or yeah. they're overly obsessed about it. But Pure body dysmorphia is is a medical is a psychological condition. Is that you're constantly worried and you, you have anxiety. You can't go into society. So it's different with I wonder how I look, and right. I'm always thinking about how I look. It's a it's a diagnostic. Uh, won't leave the house. You won't leave the house, sort right. of thing. Can you think of some examples where people, your patients, or want to be patients, have seen you and you've said, oh, you, oh, you know, you can't operate on them. It's a no. Yeah, I think. It happens a lot. It right. would happen one, you know, once a, once a, well, it happens less and less because now we've triage and filter the patients that come through. So mm -hmm. they send the email to my staff. But historically, you took a consult, patient came in and if it, you always had that awkward, you, they're coming like, I'm not going to operate on this patient. They've just paid for the consult. Do you think that in your head? Do you think I'm not going to operate? Literally? Yeah, I'm not going to operate. Yeah. And then, then it becomes, okay, you know what, you're going to have surgery. I'm not, here's your consult feedback. Okay. But then this never happened sort of yes. thing. But then that's inefficient for everybody. So now for me, everybody emails, my staff triage it, then I approve the consultation in the first place. But so how do you know just from an email? Photos. Patients uh, send photos okay. In. Yeah. Right. That's so great So they send photos idea. in and then if they're, if, and you know, what they want to achieve and then they get the consult. So you've, you've triaged them already. Um, yeah. But a lot of time. Does one slip through the net though? They, they do slip through the net. It does slip through the net. And then, but yet again, it's just that. Honesty is like, you know what, I, I just, A, I don't think, the, the thing I say commonly to patients is I'm a surgeon, I only get paid if I operate on you. So I'm incentivized to operate on you. I'm telling you not to operate. So that speaks how much I don't think you need an operation. And that, that, that I think that, that helps because it's true because I don't make money if they come in and they walk out. I only make, and that's part of the problem with the surgical model is that surgeons are incentivized to operate financially you know you've you've got overhead you've got costs to pay lawyers want to go to court yeah 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 so you've got yeah, to, yeah no, exactly so you're you you have to know when to operate because if you operate on the wrong patient they're not going to be happy you're not you're going to be upset at yourself um but that's the problem with the model so if a surgeon says to you you shouldn't operate then they really listen don't to, want to operate. listen to it yeah so it could be the surgeon doesn't want to operate on you or it could be that you are very unrealistic and you shouldn't have an operation. Yeah. 
And do you think, I'm sure you do, that, that, that some, sometimes people come in and you think it's actually a psychologist you need, not a plastic surgeon? Um, y- yes, but uh, yet again, those, the ones that are the neat psychologists are kind of easy to pick. It's the ones that you don't. And that's why now um, most patients that I have, a, okay, most patients now, actually all patients now need to do a BDD screen before they see a plastic a surgeon, screen? A body dysmorphic screen. Ah, would I have to do that if I want no, from my- From now on, from the 1st of July, every patient has to have a body dysmorphic screen. Oh, okay, but can't you just fudge it? That's the problem with it. So the, the medical yeah. board's brought it in, but it's it's not sensitive and not specific. So, you know, people with body dysmorphic can lie and get away with it. People that don't understand it answer it properly, then they get classified as BDD. So it's, I like the, the what they- the intention, but the application of the BDD. Yeah, tick screen. the box if you're saying I'm saying. Okay, can, yes. can, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, And but that's your that's the surgeon's. The skill of a surgeon is knowing when to operate and when not to operate. Technically, technical is you know it's technically you should be able to do it, but it's knowing when and when not to operate, um, and then you get better with that the more times you get burnt <laughs> and the more gray hairs you get. <laughs> and that's what, you know. What do you mean? As in knowledge without experience is trivia. Okay. So you can have all I the knowledge. I love no- that. That's, that yeah. could be applied in life. Yeah, yeah. So you can have all the knowledge in the world. So when you first graduate, you've got, you know everything about plastic surgery, but you've got no experience. So it's trivia. It means nothing. So it's the, how you screen your patients, you get better and better at it the longer you practice. It's like so, being an escort, I could tell straight away if, yeah, if they're yeah. going to be a if they're going to be yeah, or yeah. not. You yeah, know? you can just tell. It's that uh, there's a book written by um, uh, what's his face, Malcolm Gladwell, called Blink. Yes, and they talk and he talks about those little blink moments that people can assess. You know, a tennis serve, which which direction it's going to go, the fireman or fire person or fireman, they can know where you know a door's going to collapse. They can't articulate how they know. Sex worker knows whether a man's going to kill her in, in five seconds or not. They do? Mm. Yeah, you probably, yeah, yeah. So similar, it's just that you can't teach it. It's just that experience. On the job learning. On the job learning. Mm. The, yeah, the uh, the street MBA, as they mm-hmm. call it. That's a good point. Did yeah, you yeah. use that in your books? I might use it in the mine. The street MBA, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so with Tommy, so how popular are tummy tucks? I'd or mummy tucks, whatever they're called. What are they I called? Think tummy, tummy tucks are the, probably the most Mummy makeovers. Popular. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the most Popular operation. So what does it involve? Well, it depends. I mean, you've got daddy do-overs, they call it. Now, well, hang on, hang on. Yeah, okay, well, let's get to the daddy do-overs. Yeah. I love no, that. No, but I think, firstly, the medical board has said now we cannot use the word mummy makeover on any of our social media posts because it's and it kind of is It's a little bit uh, degrading. But I guess it's any operation the patients have after they've had kids. Okay. So whether you want to make the big breast smaller or bigger, lift them or, or lift them with an implant, and then all the different variations of tummy tucks, which involves muscle separation, repair, removing skin, liposucking, and any uh, love handle fat. That would that sounds very painful. Um, enough for the surgeon. <laughs> no. Yeah. But no, no, it's not too. It, I mean, the no, breast just... procedures aren't too bad. It's yes, the, the yes. tummy procedure, and it's the muscle tightening because when the muscles separate after childbirth. And the fascia gets weak. You you need to tighten all that to try to get as flat a tummy as possible as possible. Do you um, sometimes look at a patient and want to say to them, "Why don't you just change your lifestyle?" The, I mean, a lot of them, most of them. Um, it would be so a lot two cheaper. Patients. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's two sets of patients. There's the patients that have lost all the weight after diet and, and bariatric skin. skin. Yeah. So no amount of they've already done that. 
So no amount of diet and exercise can get rid of the loose skin. Then there's patients that have really bad muscle separation after pregnancy. No amount of exercise can can fix that. It's it's like having a hernia. You can once you've got a hernia, you've got a hernia. You can't fix it. Once you've got arthritis of the knee, you've got arthritis of the knee. There's things you could do to minimize your pain, but eventually you need that procedure. So the thing with muscle separation is the rectus abdominis muscles like this, it separates with childbirth. The more you exercise, the more it keeps going further out. You, they just need to be brought back in, inwards. Um, but a, a lot of the patients that are just overweight, they, they just can't have tummy tucks anyway. They, they, Why not? Because the, the tummy tuck procedure is a contouring procedure, not a weight loss procedure. Right, so that you don't just suck out all the fat. No, you, and if you do, you have the problems that we said before yes. about liposuction. You yes. suck out all this fat. And then they've got all wrinkly skin and they look yep. worse. Yeah, yeah. So nowadays, yet again, the beauty of modern medicine is that patients are so educated and whether it's social media, access to content is they know to only go to their plastic surgeon when they've lost all their weight. They know they can't, if they're 150 kilos, it's pointless going to your surgeon because he or she is just going to say, you're going to go lose weight. And now access to weight loss techniques, diet and exercise, all the medicines that, you know, Ozempic and Succenders are helping and then obviously access to all the bariatric operations. So they do come to you having lost all the weight. Mm. Very rarely do you say lose. And yet again, the triage system we have, Mm -hmm. a patient sends a photo and they're overweight. My staff say, look, Dr. Murata thinks you should go go down the other avenues before you come in. Mm. That's good. What's the daddy? What is it? Oh, daddy Dover would be like weight loss, mainly weight loss. You know, patients that have had bariatric operations and they've got loose skin. Oh, so they just, just happen to be a dad. The liposuction, liposuction, or tummy tucks. Okay, so yeah. men are having tummy tucks. The, the the patients that are the you know massive weight loss patients, so you know, one hundred and fifty oh. kilos, over one hundred kilos, lose twenty, thirty, fifty kilos, then they've got loose skin. Yeah, they have the. They have tummy tucks as well. When I was a journalist and even as an escort, I met lots of people who had lost a yeah. lot of lot of weight, but yeah. they still saw themselves as that bigger person, yeah, you know, yeah. no matter if they didn't, you know, regardless of how they looked, they were still that person in their head. Do you feel that with some of your patients when I, they, when they come back afterwards after the operation? I think I find the other way is they come to me and they've lost all the weight and they feel fantastic. The scales say they've lost 50, 60 kilos, but they said, I don't feel like I've lost the weight because now when I look in the mirror, I see all the loose skin. Right. So the end of their journey, actually another patient today is amazing. She had lost all the weight and she's had her thighs, How tummy. How much did she lose? She's 50, 60 kilos. Wow. Through diet and exercise? Through diet and exercise. Wow. So she's That's lost amazing. Her, yeah, so, and they're, they're, those patients, I think, keep their weight off longer because they've changed their lifestyle rather than yeah. taking a pill. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but she had done her arms, her tummy, her thighs, and she's like, it's the breast. That's you know. That's my last bit of this puzzle. Like I've gone through this journey. This is the last thing I need to do. Hmm, um, interesting. So yeah, a lot of time you and you, yeah, you you feel fitter and you feel better, but the skin's letting you down. It's addictive surgery, though, isn't it? Like I feel it's addictive. Is I mean, it, if you've yeah. got the money, or you say, and I save the money, yeah, yeah. It's a you know, you just have a little tweak here and there. You realize it wasn't that much of a bigger deal. You got over the pain, and then you just you know, it's it's never ending. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I, the lower yeah. facelift, I have to say, was the fantastic. It's the most painful thing I've ever been through. In my oh, life. really? Interesting. Oh, it's just very, very painful. Um, gender affirming surgery. How much of that do you do? Because a lot of people go overseas for that, don't they? 
Yeah, I think so. There, I mean, there's we look at two ways to look at it. You got the top and you got the top. You got the top, bottom, and top. Okay, mm-hmm. so the only gender affirming surgery I do is breast work. So male to female breast augmentations. So male to female. Okay, male to female yep. breast augmentations or female to male breast breast. Female to so you take out the breast. Yeah. And when you do male to female, do you put it behind the muscle or how, uh, how does that work? It, it so usually yet again, back to the weight loss stuff, by the time the patient comes to me Because they have to take estrogen. They've they? taken all their medicines, yeah. they they very much get, and they have breast issue. No, it's not going to be D cup, but anywhere between no, A to a C cup. So for me, it, in fact, the male to female breast augmentations are one of the easiest operations we do because you don't have to deal with sagging breasts. You, you, you know, they end up getting really tight results and they're the happiest patients because it's kind of the first step before they go down the other path of, you know, the male to female transition um, for the genital region. So it's kind of, then they finally, they feel it, they've taken the medicines, now they're starting to look a little bit more. Are you seeing a rise in those kind of operations? Um, I probably am, but maybe it's because it's, you know, a confirmation bias because I do a lot of them and then, you know, through that, I mean, I, I, my rooms are in Surrey Hills. We're in the <laughs> mi- middle, middle of the community. Yeah. So I, I, I do see a lot you of are. them um, uh, because – you know, it's self referrals as well. Mm. Now I don't do uh, like like um, vagina like ven- vagina reconstruction or penis reconstruction. And I think, to be honest, the best people that do it in the world are probably overseas, Thailand, yeah, Thailand, like government, Thailand, Thailand, and um, big unit in Belgium in Ghent that does it oh, as well. Right. Interesting. So when if a, a woman wants to become a man, yep. What do you, what do, can you put a pen like excuse my ignorance can yeah. you can you can people can doctors put a penis on yeah. how, how yeah. does that work yeah so if you think about the embryology well, you probably haven't thought about the embryology of the genitals <laughs> oh no I haven't but when the, when the genitals form embryologically you know at gestation some bits are the same so for example the clitoris is the glands penis the penis right. shaft okay yep. the labias we talked about before they're the scrotum so it all oh. a- anatomically as it all and so. In a man, the shaft forms and the clitoral hood ends up becomes the, the gland's penis. So do you it, actually put a penis on there? or do you so, so, yeah, so what you do with, with the female to male, you have to create a shaft. You redirect the nerves. Wow. Which are, so the common thing that the, – so there's different types of tissue we use. The most common one – I don't do this operation because I, 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 technically we do this operation all the time but not to make a penis. So – we transplant a bit of tissue. So you can see the veins here and the in artery arm, here. Yep. So what you do is you draw out the skin paddle that you want to make the penis. So you get this bit of skin here. On your arm. On your, on your arm, inner arm. And you roll, yep. you roll it into the shaft, the shape oh. of a penis on a template. Get the artery and vein and the nerve. So clever. And then you go down and then you connect it to the nerve that would go to the clitoris. That's amazing. You, and then you do the same for artery and vein. So can can uh, trans men get erections? Yeah, and then there's machines That's that you amazing. Yeah. So, so, so someone yeah. could say, I want a really big penis. They can. So, and then one of the things is now because historically we've taken the tissue of the forearm, which is one of the more reliable, thinnest tissue, there is a stigmata now from having that scar because when people see that scar, they go, oh, with, within the transgender we community, what, yeah, yeah. We, want, we know what you've had. Yeah. So now we're using other bits of tissue, right. the, the thigh tissue, 
because there's less stigmata from the thigh because you don't see it. Fascinating. Because you have to skin graft here and you can see a big skin graft. When I was in Stockholm, I I did uh, some cosmetic surgical training there in the biggest cosmetic clinic in Europe um, called Academic Clinic. And and we did a couple of operations there that I – three operations there that I do not do but I know how to do. Um, One was penis enlargement. Mm-hmm. One was hymen repair, making a new hymen. Oh, for God's sake, really? Exactly. And then the other was vaginoplasty. What's so okay. So penis enlargement is ex- – the, the reason I don't have penis enlargement is I can't look at another man and say, doing this operation can make it bigger and work. So what you do is you get fat and you inject fat around the shaft. Okay, so yes, it makes it look thicker but I don't really know if it makes it work better. The only way you can create length is you go and there's a ligament called a suspensory ligament right underneath your pubic bone and you go and relate, release that ligament and the penis drops because the ligament that's okay. so, so the And then you resuture it so it looks lower. So yet again, I can't – I when I came to starting my practice, it was like I, I don't really know – if it's going to work as well because you've cut that ligament and I don't know if it's going to be as hard because you put all this fat around it. And they've tried putting filler in and filler has its problems as well. I can't imagine how painful that would be. Um, yeah, good question. I'm not sure. It would be because you have to really slice that ligament off the bone. Okay, I'm sure the men listening to this are yeah. crossing their legs um, right now. <laughs> but the problem with it is that you only look, like they call it like the locker room operation. So you look lower in front of your mates when you're naked in the change room, you know. Because women actually don't care that much. Uh, yeah, so I saw one or two patients when I started and they wanted it. I'm like, yeah, you're not getting it. Like I'm, I don't know how – before I used to screen patients. Um, Do they have normal penises? And one of them had like – I mean, I didn't examine one of them. I was like, I'm not even examining you. Yeah. Yeah, the like, oh, I've got whatever. He was trying to be being a bit of a dick. Yeah, I've got six inches. I want nine or something ridiculous. I was like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, this is going nowhere. But but is it the same as women who with big boobs wanting bigger boobs, i.e. people like me? But is it is it is it the same where you think you don't need it done? I'm not doing it. Yeah, I know. But but, but you don't change the function. Okay? Oh, I so, see. Yes, yes. So in a way, it's one of the better operations to do as a surgeon because you're never going to get sued because which man is going to go on social media and <laughs> to the lawyers and go, Dr. Moradi botched my penis enlargement. <laughs> no, it's going to be, no one's going to say me. So that's why. You'll never have sex again, that's for sure. Yeah. So it's just, so it can be done. Um, I don't think it's done very well and it's done, not done enough. So I read someone, some man died the other day um, from having a penis. Oh, yeah, overseas, yeah, I saw that on social yeah. media. So the other one was hymen repair, which. So is it just husbands that want that for their wives? No, it's, it's in that, in the Swedish community, there was a big, not a big, there was a Muslim um, community. Um, and so what you would, well, not what we do, I was the assistant, but what, what the surgeon would do, you'd just go inside and create a flap of tissue of mucosa and essentially make an, uh, an unstable wound. So then on first, well, not first penetration, on perceived first penetration <laughs> on, on the night of the night of the wedding, you, you, you damage a scar and. So women would do this on the sly, would they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So on the sly and then they'd bleed and then. Oh, my first time. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah exactly. Okay, right, so, right, right. So uh, why don't you do that? Because that's a totally ridiculous operation. Oh, totally ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yes. Totally ridiculous operation. Totally ridiculous. Um, and the other v- vaginoplasty, which has its merits, but I, the reason I don't do it, so vaginoplasty is not too dissimilar to when your muscles separate during pregnancy. Mm. The posterior vaginal wall through pregnancy 
uh, uh, attenuating becomes really stretched. So the post, the vaginal wall becomes weaker. Okay. So what you do is similar to a muscle repair. You go and take a strip of mucosa off and then you tighten the muscle and close it up to tighten the vagina to make it a tighter vagina. The reason I don't do it is that, um, I think you have to do any operation that you could deal with the complications. Okay. So if you're doing any operation and it goes pear shaped, you need to be able to fix it. Now, one of the complications that can happen is the posterior vaginal wall is stuck right next to the anterior part of the rectum. Okay. So a risk, a super low risk is that you can get, and you can, and bowel surgeons get this not infrequently. It's called things called fistulas or sinuses where you've got a communication from one cavity to another. And I was talking to my colorectal friend when I was on fellowship, talking to him about this and he said, yeah, it happens where people get a communication between the vagina and the rectum and it's really hard to fix. And I was like, okay, I'm not ever doing this operation, but it has merit. There's some, you know, isn't there something called the O injection? Yeah, and I was going to say, well, not the O. I looked into the O because I talked to someone that did the O, but there are lasers, the Mona Lisa. That, Do they that, work? That, I don't know. I don't yeah. use them. So. I think I, I know one guy had it done. She said it was excruciating. Oh, really? The yeah. Mona Lisa? Oh, no, I don't know. I think she had the O thing. And, yeah, the, okay. and for those who don't know, what is the O thing? Um, and the I, think Mona Lisa. I think they just put stem cells into the, but those stem, injecting stem cells around the clitoris and the vagina. Okay. So. No, nothing, no injections near my clitoris. No. Thank you very much. No. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask some questions that some uh, yep. follower, Instagram followers are dying to yep. know. Okay. So we've talked about one surgery. What's one surgery we should never do as, as patients? Uh, male or female? Both. I think. Yeah, good question. You should never do well. Never do the operation. That, so penis enlargement for I men. I think penis enlargement for men. That's an easy. Like that's a no-brainer. And what's a bit of a waste of time for women? Hmm. Well, I think the one operation you shouldn't do is have any body contouring operation if you're overweight and you're planning to lose weight, or having a breast augmentation when you're breastfeeding, or okay. having a breast so reduction when you're breastfeeding. The timing. You, yeah, you shouldn't have an operation. If you're hitting a moving target. So if you're losing weight, you wait till you lose weight and wait six months um, after you've lost all the weight. So don't do an operation when you're overweight. Now, if you said to me, okay, a random operation that you shouldn't do, I'm like a hymen repair would definitely yeah, be on, hymen on repair it. Is definitely one. But I think also liposuction below the knee. Oh, interesting. Why? I think liposuction below the knee is really painful. Really? Um, During or after? After. And the contour, the results are not, you know, when people want liposuction around their, you know, the cankles, around yeah, the ankles. Yeah. It's one of those operations where theoretically, yes, you move the fat, but it never looks as that amazing anyway. And it has pain. And if you want to get all the fat out, then you get wrinkly skin. If you don't, if you do the operation that has the least complications, as in don't take too much, the patients aren't happy. So I think there's limited benefit. Interesting. And the other operation that's really okay. risky is Brazilian butt lift. Oh, let's talk yeah, about yeah, the butt lifts. Yeah, okay. Do you do those? Brazil, I, I do them as along with when I'm doing a body, like if I'm doing a, a tummy tuck or something or a, bre a, a physical butt lick and putting fat in. So Brazilian uh, BBL, Brazilian butt lift, is where you liposuck fat from around the body and you inject it into the butt to make it look bigger. Okay. To and give purge. a volume. Yep. Yeah. The, it's the operation when they first started doing that had the highest death rate. Why is that? Because 
The fat used to, when they first did it, you could put fat in the fat layer or in the muscle. They were putting it into the muscle because when you put fat in the muscle, it grows. Yep. But then what was happening in the fat that you're injecting went into the muscle, went into the vein, and then went into the vein and got embolized or tra- transported into the lungs and you have sudden oh, oh my god. You could have sudden death. Now the techniques are you can't put the fat in the muscle. You do it into the fat layer and the risks are much, much less. So that's the operation that is always a very big question mark. And to get good results, you've got to put high volumes in, you know. So you've got to put a lot of fat a in. A lot of fat in. My The reason I don't do it is um, I just don't know how that's going to age over time. I remember you saying this to me. Because you put lots of fat in and over time, who knows what it's going to look like. Trends change and it's really hard to remove it once you put it in. So that was that. So okay, the Kim Kardashian look is that is that not fashionable anymore? Well, yeah, she's. I think now she's lost the weight, hasn't she? I think yeah, she's yeah. had a boobs reduced. Has she? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean those those bums are they implants or are that is that? She should probably. Most likely, it's fat, but sometimes it can be fat and an implant. So you put a little implant, like a hybrid augmentation. Put a small implant in and put a little bit of fat. So a bit of right. best of Is that both popular of, in Australia? No, not really. People don't no, do that here. No. B- BBLs more so, but in bum implants not Just really. Just do some squats. It's very hard. I have to say, as a woman, yeah. it's very hard to sort of firm up your bum. The bum, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hard area, but putting fat, I think – yeah, I just don't. Yeah, well, I, don't I mean, like I don't have much body fat. Yeah. And well, yeah, where do you get it from? Where do, would I have to put on twenty kilos? No, the so. problem is you put the twenty kilos, you get the fat, put it in your bum, you lose your fat, you lose it everywhere. Oh, okay, yeah, yes, so it doesn't work. Okay. Um, so these days, you know, the yeah. cost of living, etc. But I'm sure people are still having plastic surgery. Um, are they asking for finance? Are more people asking for finance options these days. I think an accountant asked this. I think um, I. It's funny because I, I always think that discretionary surgery would be a barometer of what the economy is doing. Yeah. And I was playing golf with uh, a builder and a, a guy that sold cars and me. And like, we're kind of in that, you know, the discretionary income, people only buy cars when they want to spend money, cosmetic yeah. surgery, not too different and builders. And at the moment, everyone's like, yeah, has it slowed down? I think it's all relative because COVID, post COVID, 2020, 21, start of 22, was the hottest time for people to spend money on cars, whatever, travel. Well, not travel. We weren't traveling. That's the reason we were spending in cosmetic surgery. So I, I don't, if you ask any plastic surgeon, he or she will say that phase from mid-2020 to mid-2022 was the busiest we've ever the been. Boom. Yeah. It was such a boom that right – and you can't – and the thing I with booms – I think I had my surgery during that time. Well, yeah, there yeah. you go. And the thing with booms is have I seen a tail off a little bit? I th- Probably a little bit, but it's not like it's uh, nosedive, no, nosedive because you're only coming from a high point. It's like when people complain about house prices coming down. They went up so much during COVID twice and they've just come down a little bit and everyone's yeah. like, oh, it's come down. Well, it's still better than it was before yeah, COVID. Yeah, so yeah. I think there's that. Now, in, with, with regards to um, uh, financing, I wouldn't know because they come and I see them and I'm so disconnected to it. So I send it to my patient coordinator. A lot of patients go through finance companies um, who pre-approve and sort all that out. So that's all done before they come okay, and see so me. You don't, you don't deal with that side. Um, well, that's interesting to know though about the boom and how it's just tailed. It's gone yeah, back to normal. 
I think it's just gone back to normal. Yeah. And so I think it depends if you're an optimist or a pessimist in the world. <laughs> you, if it goes back to normal, you go, okay, it's normal. But the people yeah. that now, well, it's not as busy as it was. Oh, my God. The, well, stop being so greedy. The, the, the doom, doom and gloom, the world's ending. Yeah. Only one trip to Aspen yeah, no, okay. <laughs> in the year. Okay, interesting. Um, a husband has asked if he is selfish, that he doesn't want his wife to have a boob job as he prefers her natural. What's your What's your opinion? What's your thought? What's your advice for this couple? He um, says he feels incredibly selfish. She wants a boob job. He doesn't want it to have one. I personally think he does. He's maybe a bit intimidated. He doesn't want men to start looking. And I do think it's funny. Yeah. Was, think? Most of the time, most of the partners or husbands that come in are very much there for moral support is like go big what, go big go big <laughs> yeah no no yeah what, okay well that does happen a little bit but not as much as you you would think but it was like it's very much whatever she wants like okay god what, i wish i had a husband sometimes it's like what, literally whatever she, she wants yeah but yet again it's confirmation bias because i only see the partners that come in that are supportive and they're there but the ones that don't want the the, the wives or partners to have surgery probably never get a consult in the first okay. place so, so what's your lot, advice for him a lot, I think it's uh, – and a lot of the women have surgery purely for them. They're like, this is just for me. Yes. I want to – I want close to fit. But they don't do it for other women. They don't do it for – very rarely do they do it for their husbands. They literally do it for themselves. Um, what I find more often is that the the male guilt is like, well, I've raised three kids. I've had three kids, a Caesar. Your kids did this to me and the, the man, the husband's usually like – just have it. What, Shut up and whatever take you, my money. Yeah, whatever yeah. you want. Whatever she wants. So I get more of that. It's very yeah. rarely the other way around. Because, okay. Um, and it's never. I've never seen. I've rarely seen. Not never. Where a man is forcing the woman to have surgery like that's that. It never happens that way. They might. Men sometimes go. Well, I know you, and I know you'll regret going too small. So of the options that Dr. Murad is given. Just go with the bigger one. I don't care. I'm happy, but I know you'll regret not going too small. A lot of women do regret going too small, don't they? They're going smaller than oh, – let me reword that. Yeah. I remember when I had my first boob job yeah. 15 years ago, the doctor said to me, go one size bigger than you think you want because yeah. most women always wish they'd gone a bit bigger because yeah. they're a bit nervous about yeah. it. Is yeah, that- I think you do, but I, th- I think it's an, ele- an element of uh, neuroplasticity as well, as mm-hmm. in – the first time you get your breast augmentation, everyone goes, I love it. Then when all the swelling goes down and they're used to it, they think it's smaller than it really mm-hmm. is. So the example I give to patients is perfume. The first time you wear new perfume, you one spray, you smell it all day, it's good. But then after a while, yeah, I can't smell it. Mm-hmm. So I better put two or three on. Mm-hmm. So your brain's used to one, then you, 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 you're thriving for extra. So mm-hmm. same as breast augmentation, you like it. Then you get used to it and then you're like, oh, maybe I should have gone bigger. Mm. I've often said to patients, what I love to do is put the implant in and never tell them which one I put in. As in <laughs> they never find out the CCs. Yeah. Because I think if you didn't know what CC you had, yes. you'd literally just you'd assess the, you'd just assess what results you have. You wouldn't be obsessed by a number. A, good a lot idea. of people are obsessed by that number. Are they really? Yes. Yeah, like, I, I need to get 400s. You know, it's funny that because I thought my life would be perfect or my body and my life would be perfect if I had big boobs, you know, and now yeah. I've got massive boobs and I yeah. think, oh, my life would be perfect if I had smaller boobs now. Yeah, you know, yeah, my, yeah. My, my clothes would be perfect if I had smaller boobs. And I was, we were just saying earlier, I don't think I'm going to have them reduced because yep. 
I probably won't, I'll never be happy. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, you just yeah. got to stop somewhere. Yeah, you got to stop somewhere. What are your thoughts on overseas surgery? I'm not talking about gender affirming surgery. I'm talking yeah. about where you can get your boobs in in Thailand or or Turkey or whatever. So, um, I think overseas surgery. As, uh, so here's the thing. I'd love to be able to just operate on patients and never see them again, mm-hmm. okay, because then you're just operating all the time. But the art of surgery is the pre- and post-op care. Because um, what if something goes wrong? And what if something goes wrong? And if something goes wrong, you want access to your surgeon. You want to call him or her and go, okay, this, this, this. I'm bleeding, I'm this, I'm that, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very arrogant of Australian surgeons and English surgeons, because English, they all go to Poland and Turkey, Australia, they go to Thailand. And the arrogance of the of local surgeons going, oh, the overseas surgeons are crap. Overse- you know, they're, they're probably as good, if not better, than us. Their facilities in Thailand are probably I better than ours. I hear they're very uh, good. They're better than ours. Yeah. And Turkey now, they do amazing rhinoplasties. They do great hair transplants, probably better than, we definitely do better hair transplants than we do in Australia. And teeth. And teeth. And this, so there's all these options. Um, so... We as surgeons have always said, are oh, they dodgy surgeons? But they're not. They're, they're like us. They're mo- because you're, not, you're very rarely going to go to Thailand and Why go to- Why are they so much cheaper though? Well, it's just the cost of everything. The implants are cheaper over there. Right. The labor costs are cheaper. The hospitals are cheaper. You know, it's just- Because I think if it's cheap, it can't be that good. Um, I think they, for example, the implants they get over there most of the time, when they get the same implant that we have here, the same company, they get it for half the price that we pay for it in Australia. So there's costs, so there's, there's co- oh, okay. and hospital costs and what have you. Yeah. So one of the things is if if you go overseas and you research your surgeon and he or she is excellent and they're equivalent to Australian surgeon, good for you. So so if you don't know who you're getting, that's you don't want to fly over somewhere and they go, okay, you're getting Doctor Smith or Doctor whoever, and you don't have you haven't researched him or her and you don't know what that's bad, right? But if you've researched your surgeon, they're really good. And they do a good job. They've got good reviews. They've got good results and blah, blah, blah. And that works out well. So that's only like 30% of the surgical journey. This other 70% is the aftercare. The aftercare. And if anything goes, and things go wrong. In the best hands, things go wrong. Okay. And if a surgeon says that they get no complications, that they're only one thing and they're a liar, right? It's just how you deal with those complications. Um, and when you come back and you, you know, you're back in Sydney, and then if you have to go back to, Bangkok, Thailand, Turkey, to have any revisions on. So I've got a few patients that I've done rhinoplasties on. Their friends have gone to t- Turkey. So they've come in to me and they're like, oh, post-rhinoplasty, a lot of times you need cortisone injections. They're like, I've talked to my Turkish surgeon, says I need cortisone injections. Do you mind doing it for my friend? I'm like, okay. So, so these great Turkish surgeons that get great results still need these little ancillary b- bits of help. So the cortisone injections, and now I'm <laughs> cortisoning Turkish nose jobs. jobs. But what 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 if they can't get anyone to do that? What, what, what well, that's it. So your, your results, yeah, yeah. So your results, you know, your results aren't going to be as good. Yeah. Like you can go to the best knee surgeon in the world, and he or she does the best knee replacement. But if you don't go to a physiotherapist yeah. to rehab you, doesn't matter how good they did the knee replacement. If yeah. you haven't had rehab properly, you're not going to get a result. So. Yeah. It's the post-op care that's important that's as well. In, that's interesting because I, I would thought you would definitely you would say definitely don't have stuff done overseas, but you haven't said that at all. Well, no, th- well, and and it works both ways. So it, it comes back to surgeons and money. Unfortunately, is 
we're quite happy when people fly from all over Australia to see me. <laughs> yes. But then that's cosmetic tourism. So cosmetic tourism isn't just Do you going, have people fly over? Lo- loads of people yeah. from all over New South Wales, New Zealand, Australia, they fly to, for me and go back. That's cosmetic tourism. Absolutely. So you, you can't at one hand say it's really, really bad. So how do you, do you aftercare on them? So we have, you know, regular Zoom meetings, right. nurses do the Zooms. And, and if and the stitches need removing, they just go to their GP they go, or something? We talk to the GPs beforehand. Okay. So, you know, most, like I'd say 20%, 25% of my patients are not from New South Wales. Interesting. So that, that's country the girls. world. The, the, yeah, country, interstate, that's just the, the world we live in. All these country girls with big boobs. So uh, I think the problem with co- the, with her all overseas is the aftercare and not knowing who your surgeon is. Okay, interesting. Do you lose sens- sensitivity in your nipples after a boob job and can you breastfeed? Um, well, I guess there's boob jobs and breast reductions. So let's work on breast reductions first. So when we do a breast reduction, the nipple is still connected to the glands and ducts and it just gets repositioned. So the biggest study that we use regarding breastfeeding was the study done um, where they got 150 women that had breast reductions, 150 women that didn't have breast reductions. And they longitudinally looked at them and saw which ones could breastfeed and which ones couldn't in both groups. Age-specific, weight-specific. And a third in both groups could breastfeed, a third couldn't, a third needed supplementation. Okay. So the conclusion is that it's breast, after breast reduction, there's no difference in your ability to breastfeed than the normal population. Except if you do the rare breast reduction where you have to chop, amputate the nipple, which we'd never rarely do. From a breast augmentation, nipple sensation shouldn't matter because you're not going near the nerve, okay? You're putting the implant in, you might have some increased sensation or decreased sensation to start, but it Mm -hmm. shouldn't change. I will say some patients after breast reduction, Mm -hmm. their nipple sensation, they're more sensitive because the nipples have been so heavy and the nerve stretched for so long down low, Mm -mm. when it's lifted up, the nerve gets to rest a bit more and it's ah, not as painful. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Okay. Not, it's more sensitive. Interesting. That's but interesting. You can lose sensation to your nipple after a breast reduction. I heard breast reductions are incredibly painful. Is that correct? No, no. They're less oh. painful than breast augmentation. Are they really? Yeah, way way less painful. My first one was very, very painful. My sixth one, I could have driven the next day. Yeah, because you, because you, the, the pain comes from putting the implant under the muscle. Right. And the muscle stretch. Once it's already been stretched, all the revisions yeah. are actually fine. And breast reduction, you're not really going near the muscle. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, now, this is um, something I've been reading a bit about yep. with breast implants is the poisoning. Yep. And some women are beginning very sick and having yep. them removed. What are your thoughts? What are your, what's your knowledge on, on this subject? Um, and someone asked me to ask you this. No, no, that's good. It's a good question. So um, there's a condition called breast implant illness. Um, what we know is that we don't know anything about it. Okay, so it's a constellation of sy- symptoms that patients with implants get. All patients? No, no, some patients. Half ref- or? Oh, no, no, much less. Right. Like Single-figure percentage. Okay. I mean, of my patients that have come back to me, I've had like two patients that have said it, but. I think it's probably a bigger problem. We don't know. And it's constellation of symptoms, brain fog, fatigue, hair loss, itchiness, you know, just lots of the similar symptoms that you people complain about when they're gluten intolerant yes, or okay. um, irritable bowel syndrome. So the problem with it is there's no diagnosis, there's no blood tests, 
Um, so you don't know whether it's the breast implant that's causing it. Correct. Okay. So it becomes an exclusion thing, not too dissimilar to you've got you've got a food allergy. You exclude everything else. It's nothing else. And so now the problem is all the major studies that have been done. The biggest the biggest study they did was um, in San Antonio, in Texas, San Antonio, I think, where they looked at the ten twenty thousand patients and they looked at which had implants and which didn't and which came in for those same symptoms and it was very similar. A lot of patients without implants in that population complained about brain fog. Without implants. Without implants and it was the same percentage with implants. So the the conclusion is very shady. Is like, right. well, we, there's no evidence, as I said to patients, there's no evidence to say that it exists, but there's no compelling evidence to say it doesn't exist. So, and there's so many patients that swear that it exists um, and you take the implant out and some feel better, some don't, um, and there's an element of placebo that helps or not. So I say to patients, if you think you've got it, I believe that the, the, that there is an entity for it. I just don't know that there's a test for it. So we don't know if it exists and we don't really know if it doesn't exist. So the only thing you should do is just remove the implant, have an implant holiday, and see if you feel better. The controversy then comes is when you've got your implant, Anytime you have any foreign body in your body, hip replacement, knee replacement, breast implant, you create a capsule, which is an internal scar. And the capsule is there, like when you get an ingrown hair, the body creates a capsule. The controversy is that breast implant illness patients think that they have to remove that capsule. Now, I say to patients, the thing with the capsule is it could be so super translucent thin that removing it can cause more damage then, is it a cosmetic thing to remove it? Does it look? Can no, you- no. It just means it just means the the capsule. If it's on your rib, you you risk putting a hole in the lung right, and right, trying right. to remove it. Okay. So I say to patients is when we're in surgery, I think you should try to remove as much of the capsule as possible. Why? Because if we don't do it and we take the implant out, you'll go on your Facebook forum groups <sighs> and they'll say you, your surgeon didn't take your capsule out. That's why you don't feel better. So I say take the capsule out. Because then you don't want to have that guilt of, ah, oh, you should have taken the capsule out. But if the capsule is so thin that it's physically dangerous to take it out, then my recommendation is to leave it and just take out as much capsule as possible. So you don't first do no harm. Don't cause a big problem by trying to take the capsule out. Mm-hmm. How many patients feel better after taking the implants out? Uh, look, I haven't looked at it properly, but there are studies looking into breast implant. It's, it's a hot topic right now. Um, it is a hot topic. I think uh, I've been reading a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought maybe I have that, yeah. but I just think I have brain fog at the best of the time. Yeah, so and yeah. I'm not removing yeah, my yeah. implants. And I don't think I could the, cope. And the modern implants are better and they don't they don't get this thing called gel bleed as well. So Right. Yeah. So I won't get that. Yeah, so you, okay. yeah, yours are. Mine are good. Well, that's interesting about the breast um, illness because I've seen it everywhere. And I, I know part of me thinks, oh, is it is it, you know, psychosomatic? Is it in is it in our heads? Or is, you know, once you remove the implant, do you think you're better because the implant's gone, whereas really you just psychologically psychologically feel better? Yeah, and, and that's the problem with all the studies because placebo, you know, placebo works. You know, you remove an implant, people do feel, feel, better. Do feel better. Is it cause and effect? I'm not sure. So as but, I said, I say to patients, I do believe the entity exists. I just, there's no test for it. Yeah. And I say to patients before breast augmentation are anxious about it, that I tell them you're not getting breast implants. I said, you're not getting breast implants. You're anxious already about breast implant illness. 
You'll get it. You'll get it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not getting involved in it. If someone has $10,000 and they want a makeover, and let's assume we're talking about women here because yeah. women tend to spend more on plastic surgery, I yeah. presume. What would you recommend? $10,000. Um, well, I guess the, the a most bit of, a spruce, of all, yeah, yeah, it would probably be eyelids. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm eyelids. Yeah, okay. it would probably be eyelids. Only if, you know, you, it's we warranted. Need it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, either you do, you know, lower upper blepharoplasty, just removing excess skin there, just yep. to freshen the upper eyelids, and obviously any any of the lower lower ones. Okay, that's what I'm coming in for next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do do, do with with uh, the facelift, um, with fa- lower facelifts yeah. and things like eyelids, they yeah. droop eventually, and you have to get them redone. I um, think you're just delaying your, well, delaying the inevitable, but you're also taking it back, so you're just tightening that skin, so your starting point. Everything sags. Skin eventually. Every, gravity. We can't, fight, we can't win. Yeah, gravity. We unless met. you sleep upside down, maybe that's a good <laughs> idea. Like a bat. But eventually, gravity wins. But you're just trying to delay. Yes. Delay, and that's why the non-surgicals are helpful because they're trying to delay the like inevitable. fillers and Botox. Yeah, yeah. And okay, interesting. Now onto your personal life. I have seen pictures of your beautiful wife Jody, and she is very, very natural. In fact, I would be surprised if she's even had Botox. <laughs> has she? Or you, uh, actually, you, had, know, like, you don't, don't no, The only that. thing she has, has done is Botox. Did you do that for her? Um, I have done it once, but she then comes to it. My nurse does it. Okay. Yeah. I find it incredible because a few surgeons I know, their wives are always very natural looking. Yeah. Why? Well, if I was married to a surgeon, I don't yeah. think I'd be like the, yeah, the look, bride of, you know, that. that um, no, I think she. Bride of Wolf's yeah. whatever her name is. Go on. No, no. I mean, it's never occurred to her to, to have to have things done and she's you know back to agency she loves the way her body is i love the way her body is and her there's there's never been a need from her point of view and it's, i have no say in it anyway so Do plus you, you can't operate on your wife are you not allowed to well you shouldn't no okay well, you can't operate yeah no you can't operate on your wife okay i'm not gonna get a boyfriend yeah. classic <laughs> surgeon then so so when you look at women in the street or you know generally do you say oh she'd look if you know if you just she just had a bit of tweaking here and there like oh you know do you do you look at women like that sometimes no nah, because when i'm not in the office my brain is just not in medical mode like right. it's just totally turned off and it's in 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 me mode okay so, yeah okay so thing. actually if, if someone came in today that as socially and then he's like hey, i'm thinking about getting my nose done i was like i never even thought like i you know if I, when i see you i never thought that you'd even think that you'd want a nose job so yeah like interesting um also when uh, let's say a very attractive woman comes into your surgery and yeah. takes a top off is there is there a part of you that thinks mm, or, or are you so blinkered you're to- just so blinkered it, right. like it, it's very it's just so clinical and like black like black and white there's no like yeah it's 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 funny how it works you like when you're away you're very well, you're social doctor, yeah, so, yeah. yeah but when you're in the in the confines of your room like everything's just so clinical yeah yeah, I do. Interesting. It's, I could talk to you for ages. And I, I have talked to you. And this is probably yeah. the first time we've had a conversation where I'm wearing clothes yeah, as well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot wait cannot, and I cannot wait to read your book Normal, um, something I don't know much about. But <laughs> and your daughters are very lucky to have a dad like you yeah, who is yeah, installing so so much self-esteem. And you know, I tried that with my daughter too, is that you're beautiful the way you are. And social media, what are your thoughts on social media? Um good and bad. It's good and bad. Isn't it's good it? and bad. Like you, you, you can't like. It's good and bad. It's like you know. When I imagine when cars came in, they're great to get you around, but a lot of people get killed in them. You know. So, yeah. um, I, I I get all my information through social media because it targets everything that I that I want to see. Mm. So, 
Um, and I don't think anyone's got an answer to it or a solution to it because, we, you know, we try to, I mean, our kids don't have any devices. They don't have phones. They, they want phones. They're not getting phones. The only time they have. But the problem, you know, the schools all talk about keeping off devices, but every activity they do at school is on a device. That's right. Everything's on a computer. All the activities are on iPad. So at one, sta- at one element they're saying, oh, keep, keep your kids off devices, but then every assignment you have to do a PowerPoint. You've got to do this on on your iPad. That's a great point. So you can't have it both ways. Um, so it's just like with anything, you just have to ration out the the usage of it for yourself as well. Like Mm-mm-mm. because you know, I, I I try to. You know, I'm on my phone so much because mm. you're always accessible. But you've got a great Instagram account. And what is your Instagram account? Uh, Doctor Marati official. Okay. Just one more question. I actually wanted to ask yep. you. What are the trends these days with women's bodies. I've uh, noticed pe- women are going smaller in the boobs. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting question because I think the trends less, the, the bums aren't as big back to the BBL question that we, we had the trends worldwide. So we've got a big WhatsApp group of surgeons that, you know, we're, I'm going to tile no, no, Portugal. Um, we've got the faculty and we've got, you know, our WhatsApp chat and we all talk about the, the trends in a lot of the countries, the trends are smaller implants. It hasn't hit Australia yet. But within Australia, because I've talked to the implant companies, <clears throat> Queensland is still big. And then as as you go south, the trends, their sale trends are smaller implants as you go a bit further south. So we're still medium, Melbourne and Adelaide smaller than us, but Queensland is still big. I'm moving to Queensland. <laughs> um, in Holland, for example, one of the surgeons I'm good buddies with, they're still big, but the Dutch are tall. They're you know, tall. They're, they're yeah. six, you know, they're the tallest, uh, the right, they're six foot. He's like, yeah, we, we use big implants, but we've got bigger patients. And I, I was in, um, Korea recently on, uh, doing some talks and they're all using under 250 CC implants, small implants, but oh, Korean, yeah. Korean patients are smaller. So, and we're just in Colombia and they're, they're still using bigger implants. America's still using bigger. So England's using smaller implants. One of the English surgeons was saying, so I think it's, Trends are trending a little bit smaller, not yet in Australia, but it's also the the body demographic. We're, we're just bigger than the, our Asian counterparts. Of course, our implants are going to be bigger than, and, and the Dutch are going to be bigger. Well, it's like I feel I have the 90s look, the Pamela Anderson look, <laughs> and now it's yeah. going Kate Moss and then it's- oh, Do you think? Yeah. You know, and then it's, yeah. I don't know, people, I see a lot of Hollywood, they've got the small- Small cups now. Yeah, okay. But I love my Pamela boobs. No one's taken those away. There you go. Thank you very much. Awesome. It was fun. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Exposed. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more to come. Episodes are released fortnightly and hit follow so you don't miss out. And for more goodness from your host, visit the show notes. 